welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. It's great being together again for uh, another Sunday morning. Uh, if you're visiting us, as it were, online, uh, you're so welcome and trust God's already been blessing you and, and we're trusting him to speak. And yeah, it's just great being together. So we're in this series actually on Acts chapter 2. And uh, in many ways, Acts chapter 2 is a real landmark chapter. You know, we live surrounded by the fells and often when you're walking in the fells, you need to be, well, you need to know how to navigate. Uh, and, and an important part of navigation is often, you know, having the right landmarks in view and taking bearings from them and, and knowing how to orientate yourself. And Acts chapter 2 it is a landmark in that way, all throughout history. Obviously, it was the birth, it was the launch of the early church. But all throughout church history, uh, pe people have looked at Acts chapter 2 and again got their bearings. And when the church has kind of drifted off into institutionalism or, or, or just religion or, or whatever, that somehow Acts chapter 2 is it, a reminder, no, this is how God wants church to be. And, uh, and that's why we're looking at it. It's very much we're, we're, we're using it and, and we're getting our bearings from it and we're pressing that reset button uh, to, to learn from it. And, and to learn from the events of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, we've been looking at that, but also the message that Peter preached. And that was equally a work of the Spirit. It wasn't just the you know, the, the signs, the, the, the power demonstration, but actually the Holy Spirit works through the Word as well. And that's why this sermon is so important. And we've spent a few weeks now uh, just, 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 just drilling into it and letting God speak to us about it. We've, we've seen how everything God did uh, in Pentecost was rooted in these great Old Testament prophecies that God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh, you know, at such a, a powerful reminder. And then we, then we saw how actually it all points to Jesus. It's all fulfilled in him. It's a, it, 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 it really isn't about a formula or just getting the right spiritual kind of checklist, but rather it's knowing Jesus and, it, and it's encountering him. And really that's what we pick up again as we read from Acts chapter 2. So let's do that. And we're going to find again that this section is rooted in Old Testament promise and Old Testament prophecy. So Acts 2, verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to, to, to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father 
the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is a, a, a remarkable revelation of Christ and, and it became foundational to the early church. And we need this. Our view of Jesus affects everything about us. It affects how we do church. It affects our own personal lives. And there, there are certain dangers that we need to avoid. I think one is, is having a too small a view of Jesus. I think another is that we can have a, a, a too domesticated view of Jesus. Or another one is that we can make Jesus, as it were, in our own image. That we, we, we just view him according to our preferences and our likes and how we think he should be like. Or all these things that can leave us with a, a basically a foundation of sand. And so when the storms come and when difficulties come, we're, we're not built on the rock. And here, Peter actually is preaching, he's bringing revelation about the rockness of Christ. And, uh, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. We need to encounter the true Jesus. That's critical for us, personally, Anna's church. Before Jesus was put to death uh, and before he rose, he, he spent time talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit who would come in his place. And one of the things he told them was this, that actually the Holy Spirit who comes out from the Father, who goes out from the Father, would testify about me. And that's what we see happening in this preach. Peter, filled with the Spirit, is testifying about Christ and he's helping us to see Christ as he truly is. So, what does it show us in this section? First of all, he is exalted. He is exalted. Exalted to the right hand of God. He is seated. He is in the highest place. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, expresses it in this way. He says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then when he writes to the church in Ephesus, he says this, that he, Christ, is now seated with him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is Jesus, exalted now in heaven. When John received that remarkable revelation from Christ for the churches. 
we read that first is a revelation about Christ. And if you read Revelation chapter 1, it, it, it's an overwhelming vision of the exalted Christ. And John falls at his feet as though dead. We mustn't domesticate Jesus. We mustn't have a, 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 too, a too small a view of him. Jesus is exalted. And one of our great needs is to catch this big, great view of Jesus. It's that which cuts to the heart. Or one of the things that God used to expose the heart in the listeners. Yes, Jesus is our brother. Wonderful. Yes, Jesus is our friend. Totally true. But also, he's exalted. So, how do we respond to that? Well, we worship. We worship. It really is, that's the response of heaven to the glory of Christ. They worship. And it's be our response. We worship him. But also we, we change. Or, or to use the biblical word, we, we repent. We, we change direction to follow. He is Lord. If we have this view of Jesus, we can't remain the same. We, we, we may struggle, we may wriggle, we may rebel, we may... It, we, we all struggle with stuff like that. But actually, this truth of Jesus exalted is a settled thing deep in our hearts that he is Lord. And we have that choice to follow. We're his, to walk humbly before him. It was foundational to the early church. It was what happened on that first day of Pentecost and what they learned to live in from that day forward. So as we orientate ourselves to this preaching, let's kind of, let's not, let's not miss the, the real bite of it into our hearts. Say, Lord, you are Lord. Lord, I want to follow you. And also we see, not only is he exalted, but he is enthroned. The people of Israel at that time, they were, they were living with a, a, a powerful hope. They were basically an oppressed people. Um, although they were in their homeland, uh, although many in Jerusalem would have come from other lands as well, but even their homeland was, well, it was occupied. It was occupied by, the, uh, by, by Rome at that time. And that, that they lived with this promise of, of really God setting them free. It was like they were exiles uh, in, a, in, in their homeland. And they lived with promises way back from uh, the time of King David, which was very much like a golden time in the history of Israel. And, and this promise was that there'll be another in the line of David who would come, who would reign, who would restore, and, and, and the game would gather. Uh, and that was a big promise that had gone through the generations. And then we read, don't we, in, uh, again, it's in, in fact, Luke's Gospel. So Luke wrote the, his Gospel and then he wrote Acts. And at the beginning of this Gospel, he, he, he speaks about how the angel appeared to Mary uh, and said these things about, uh, about the birth of Jesus. He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. 
and he would be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David. And he would reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So his birth was announced in terms of being king. A king was being born. And then as we go on through the story, we find Jesus healing the sick, setting free the oppressed and, uh, and teaching and, and preaching. And, and, and the constant theme to all those things is this, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And he takes time with his disciples to uh, really teach them in the ways of his kingdom, which are, are really upside down from the way the world does things, inside out, it's, it's totally different. But he's teaching the way of the ways of the kingdom because he is the king. And here we've got Peter preaching and he sees him. He's enthroned, he's enthroned. Jesus is on the throne. What's our response to that? Well, again, we worship. And referring to Revelation again, we find every mention of the throne in Revelation, it's a throne surrounded by worshippers. It's just pick up on Revelation 7, 11 to 12. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Heaven pulsates with worship. Why? Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne now. And that means we serve. Being disciples. It, it, it's not about us making room for Jesus. You know, we, we somehow make space for Jesus in our lives. And, you know, we just, you know, learn to, uh, you know, kind of live together. And, and it's not like Jesus becomes a lodger into the, into the home of our lives. Rather, he comes as Lord. He comes as King. And it's about us learning to follow the ways of his kingdom. So we worship, we serve, but also we approach. And here we go to another section of scripture in Hebrews, which describes this throne. And as we see the throne, Jesus in all of his glory on the throne, which is critical, we also need to see what the throne is like. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. His throne is a throne of grace. Isn't that wonderful? Throne of glory and a throne of grace. And the invitation there is that we can approach. We bow down, we worship, but we approach. And it says that we can find grace and mercy. We can receive it when? In our time of need. Again, that is just remarkable. It's not that when we become a Christian, we kind of get our, our portion of grace and mercy handed out to us and we have to budget how we live of it. It's not that even when we draw from the mercy and the grace of God, that that in any sense diminishes 
God's supply. He is full of mercy. He's rich in it. He's full of grace. And we can approach his throne to receive it. And when do we do that? In our time of need. Are we in a time of need? It can be emotional need. It can be even need kind of just in terms of our thinking and our, our mental well-being. It need financially need, relationally need in family, need in work, need in, in so many different areas. Are we in need? We can draw near to the throne and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Wow. This is where the throne, we're, you know, this is where heaven invades earth. We, we have access to this throne. Wonderful. And then just the last thing, we've seen he's exalted from Peter's breach. We've seen he's enthroned. You know, he's, he is that descendant of David who's now enthroned forever. But also we do see he is active in heaven. Uh, the whole story, the whole account is this. He pours out his Holy Spirit. So he's not passively, if I'm putting it this way, he's not passively resting on the throne. He's active. He pours out his Holy Spirit. It happened on that day of Pentecost and it happens throughout Acts. He continues to do it. And then the promise is that it wasn't just for them or even their children's children, but to all who are far off. That includes us. So throughout church history, we're living in these days. You know, as we looked in the prophecy of Joel, God pours out his spirit on all flesh. And that means he is active in heaven, pouring out his spirit, pouring out his spirit. Whenever we pray, God, would you pour out your spirit? Jesus is active, pouring out his spirit. This is a great kind of stimulus and help to our faith. It's not about how good we are. It's not about uh, what we qualify for. It's about what he is doing. This is what he does. He pours out his spirit. Let's keep asking him. It's what we need personally in these days. It's what the church needs, our church, other churches. It's what this nation needs to see. Churches full of the Holy Spirit living in these days. But not only that, um, we read elsewhere, he intercedes for us. He is active in heaven. The exalted one, the enthroned one, is active on our behalf. And in fact, we, we can look to Romans chapter 8. Uh, and verse 34 for this, where Paul asks it's one of these questions where he says, um, who, who's the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to the life, so we get that link to the resurrection, is at the right hand of God, which is what we've heard, and is also interceding for us. I, this is a much overlooked truth and reality of what Jesus is doing now. He pleads on our behalf. Wonderful. I just quote from a, a, a book that's been such a help to me in recent, recent months uh, called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Altland. He speaks, he says this, that intercession, this is Christ's intercession, is the constant hitting of, the, of refresh, of our justification 
in the court of heaven. Jesus stands on our behalf. Wonderful. And it's not that the Father needs reminding, but there's a wonderful sort of interplay here that goes on in heaven. And again, uh, Dane Altman puts it in this way, that Christ does not intercede because the Father's heart is tepid towards us, but because the Son's heart is so full towards us. Everything Jesus expressed on earth that we read about in the Gospels, but he's so moved with compassion. All those stories, that is all being expressed now in heaven by his intercession to the Father. And then Orland goes on to say, but the Father's own deepest delight is to say yes to the Son's pleading on our behalf. In other words, God is really for us. Incredible. Amazing. Again, it leads you to worship, doesn't it? And to prayer. But also he's an advocate for us. We, we can hear that from, from John when he's writing his letters, 1 John. And, uh, and, in, and in that letter, John is very much spelling out what it means to be a, a new creation in Christ, that we don't have to sin. But then he goes on to say, but if we sin, you know, and that's the reality, we don't have to sin. But, you know, but, but, but we know what it is to sin, don't we? And he says, so if we sin, he says, um, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus continually represents us in heaven. He is our advocate. And again, he presents his finished work before the Father. That's how the Father receives us. Yet, we have an accuser. We know that. But more importantly, and even greater, we have an advocate. That's Jesus in heaven now, the exalted one, the enthroned one. And then he rules. He's enthroned, he rules. It's not a, it's not a token throne. He rules, he reigns. And this is our security, our hope. Dear friends, we're, we are living, aren't we, in these such uncertain times and challenging times in so many ways. And, and we pray, don't we, that there will be a vaccine for COVID and maybe things will settle down a bit. But that won't be the end of uncertainty. That won't be the end of all things being shaken. All things will be shaken. All things. At the moment, a pandemic is shaking the world. But there will be other things as well. And these things are being shaken to reveal that which cannot be shaken. And that which cannot be shaken is that a king is on the throne. Jesus. He rules. He reigns. And sometimes we, we, we see that through a very kind of misty glass we, we don't see it things don't make sense and we struggle even with personal stuff going on in our lives you think well, what's that mean what's that mean what's that mean but please let's be assured of this he reigns that's why this is foundational that's why i believe that the church was birthed in a, a, a with this critical truth he is lord he is king he reigns he is the messiah let's take confidence and hope from that. You know, sometimes we can be driving, can't we, just along the motorway or something, and, 
and it's it's kind of you know Cumbrian weather, uh, and and the stuff you know it gets wet, it gets a bit muddy, and stuff builds up on the windscreen, and, and and sometimes you can just live with that for a while. You know, you kind of peering through, and you think, oh yeah, I need to wash, I need to clean the windscreen, and you hit that button, and vroom, vroom, and you see things. This sermon of Peter's, I think, is a real clearing of the windscreen that we can see Jesus clearly, the exalted, enthroned one who's active on our behalf in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. What a remarkable thing. Lord, that the one appropriate response is we fall to our knees and we just worship the King. But another is that we draw near to you and we've received grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Thank you that both are ways that we can know the King. Lord, please help us in this. Help us to get the right foundations in our lives. Lord, we ask Jesus that you really would be Lord. It's a big prayer, I know. But help us, Lord. Give us grace. Give us grace. That, and if we've lost our bearings in any way, if the, if the mist has come down, we've wandered off the path, help us to, again, get the right bearings from these great landmark truths and realities of who you are. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.